Hey, well, happy Father's Day to um, all of you. Man, it is so good to see all of you and to have all of you watching online. Um, it's good to know that God, who is ever present, is with us wherever we are, whether we're in a building or watching um, at home today. Um, <laughs> I, was just, uh, I was just sitting down there and I was watching our kids this morning and I was just, I was reminded that we are always about passing on the goodness of God, the love of God, the salvation that God gives us through Jesus Christ to that next generation, and so we just celebrate that, amen? If you love children, say amen. amen. If you had a dad, say amen. amen. You know, sometimes we say happy Father's Day, and um, it's not always happy. Sometimes we have memories. Uh, maybe you didn't grow up in a home where you had a good godly father. But I am thankful that God uses all of those things in our life. He works all of those together to help us become who he has designed for us to be. Um, just a reminder, you know, we come each week, we gather in this place, we exist because we are hoping to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's every, every one of us, we want to be fully devoted to him. Not partially devoted, but what? Fully devoted, all right? And so we gather in this place, um, and we've been in this series that is called Philippians, more than happiness, because how many of you know that happiness is like an emotion that it can, it can kind of be fleeting? It can be here today, gone tomorrow, but Paul is going to talk about, he's been talking to us about how to have more than just happiness, how we can have a life of joy and a life of purpose. And I was just thinking, you know, in these weeks, um, come on, do you ever get like watching the news and you just get like sick? I mean, I used to, I used to enjoy like even coming into work, uh, like turn the news on, just kind of listen to what was going on in the world. As I come, I'm just telling you, last couple of weeks, I just, I haven't even been able to turn it on. Just leave it off. I'll, I'll turn on, like this morning I came in, I was listening to Christian music all the way in. And when I got here, my spirit was lifted. My joy was more complete because I wasn't listening to all the garbage because with all the evil that seems to abound, we have to be reminded every day, every day of our life that his grace and his presence and his power abounds even more and often when we are in the midst of an awful battle, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about just what we're going through as a country right now, but I'm talking about even in our individual lives. Sometimes we're in the midst of of a battle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say in the midst of a battle? Right? I mean, sometimes we're just in the midst of some awful battle, and we feel that God has forgotten us, and we feel like that whatever we're in is going to consume us. And so I just, wanna, I just want to remind you today and every day, whoever is going through something, listen to me, this season will pass. It will, it will be over soon. This season that you're going through, it will not last and you will survive and you will be stronger and you will be healthier because of it. This thing will be over. And in the battle, you have to learn, you have to learn to listen to the right voice. Because you will have voices pulling you and trying to defeat you and discourage you. And you have to learn to listen to the right voice. That's why scripture says, do not be overcome by the evil one, but overcome the evil one, overcome those voices, overcome the fear by faith. 
And faith comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. So you have to rehearse in your mind continually his promises and the very thing that you are facing will soon be over. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the message this morning. That was just no extra charge for that, all right? So we're gonna jump into Philippians uh, today and we're gonna be in chapter two. And again, the theme of Philippians is joy. It's about how to have more than happiness. And it's written by Paul and it talks about how, to, how in the midst of whatever we're in, we can have more than just happiness that can be taken away at times. Again, Paul writes this in prison. He writes this right before his death. He will, he will never again know freedom. He's writing this to the church and he's reminding us that our happiness is not based on our happiness or our happenings. Our happiness is not based on the things that happen around us as Christ followers. And again, all of these things that Paul teaches are easy for us to understand and they are more difficult for us to live out. So what we've been trying to do is to find some practical ways to put some habits in our life, some principles in our life that we can try to live out that sustains happiness for us. And um, you know, many times people will think erroneously that if you're a happy person, it's just because of luck in your life. You're just lucky. You got a lucky break, you got lucky parents, you got a lucky job, you got lucky circumstances, you got a lucky spouse, you got lucky kids. But happiness has nothing to do with luck. It has to do, and what Paul's gonna teach us today, it has to do with our mind, our thinking, and it has to do with the habits that we put in place in our lives. And I believe the message today, as much as I believe anything that I have preached, that our happiness is based on the way that we think and the habits that we create. Now, I've got, I've got a couple sections on the screen here. On the left column is happiness. On the right side is unhappiness. So I wanna mention a word and I want you to just kind of think about where you think that word Falls Does it fall on the happiness side of the equation or on the unhappiness side? So if I said impatience, where, where would the word impatient go in? Well, I'm just gonna take a leap of faith here and say, I think most of us would agree that impatience tends to lead to unhappiness. We get a little anxious, we get a little, you know, whatever, and we're just kind of wanting it to hurry up. And what it tends to do is it tends to suck away our joy and it tends to make us unhappy. Impatient people tend, tend to lead unhappy lives. And that just hits somebody. Because the reality, your prayer is like at times, Lord, give me patience and give it to me quick, right? Impatient people tend to be unhappy. How about this one? Now this should be simple, cruelty. People that are just cruel. Well, come on, we all, we all know where that one goes, right? Cruel people tend to live unhappy lives. That would go in the unhappy column. All right, what about, what about I'm gonna give you one for the other side. All right, what about this word, kindness, right? Kindness tends to bring about happiness. When I am kind to other people, there is something about just being kind to somebody that puts a smile on your face, right? I mean, like, you know, you're in line at, um, you know, at 
the, well, any fast food restaurant or coffee shop. And I've had this happen for me several times. And, um, and I've done this several times where you'll just say, hey, you know what? Whatever they're having behind me, go ahead and put that on my tab. Let me pay for it. And as I, I had this happen to a, a, a senior adult couple in my church one time, and they were behind me, and I saw them, and we were both at McDonald's, and, and I was like, hey, whatever they're having, just put that on my tab. And she said, you know their bill is like 64. No, it wasn't that high. Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't have made me very. Uh, but as I drove away, it just, come on, I just did, I just smiled. It just, there's something about when you are kind to people, it just makes you tend to be more happy. How about the word arrogant? You know, people that walk around and feel like they're at a different level than you. How does that make you feel? Makes you feel unhappy, but I'm telling you, arrogant people tend to have very little happiness in their life. Those that feel like they are better. How about, how about the word generous? Where does that one go? Right, over here? I mean, like generosity, like I just shared, when, when people are generous, when, when you are generous, there is something about being generous that just lifts your spirit, that just makes you happier. I always tell people when they come in and, and they're like uh, discouraged, defeated, going through a little depression or whatever it might be, one of the things I will always gear them to or lead them to is to go do something nice for somebody else. Find somebody else that's maybe a little worse off than you are. Do something kind for them because when you are generous, it just has a way to, to, make, you, to make you happy. How about, how about being humble? Well, I, I think that makes you more happy. When you stop thinking so much about yourself, when you realize that we're all, come on, get ready to say amen, we're all even at the foot of the cross, and I don't try to, you know, think I'm better than somebody else. You know, I, I learned this early on. I, there was a pastor, uh, I've had several pastors that were at churches when I was starting out at small churches, that were at huge churches, like big churches. And I had guys that would just, it was almost like they just took me under their wing and I never felt when I was around them that they were better than me. And I felt loved by them and I felt valued by them because I saw somebody that in my eyes was much higher than I was, but that humbled themselves. And I just saw in their life such happiness. How about, how about, we just talked about this a few weeks ago. How about somebody that's unforgiving? Like you hold it in, you know, you've got the, what, that person sitting on your bench chained to you. Those people that are unforgiving I'm pausing right now because I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody today because the characteristic about your life is you are feeling very unhappy the way you're living. And the reality is it has to do with an unforgiving spirit that you have towards somebody. And this might be on a very appropriate day on Father's Day to talk about this. People that are slow to forgive tend to live lives that are more unhappy. What about, what about somebody that's optimistic? Like you're around them and the, you know, everything could, like, you know, like a, a hurricane could be coming through Kokomo and they'd be like, thank God we're getting some water. I mean, right, you know what I'm saying? They're like, they're just optimistic. Optimistic people tend to, tend to live their lives with much more joy and much more happiness. Now, 
Um, I'm gonna give you a quote. I don't even know if this is in your sermon section that you can get online. Um, but this, is, this quote that I'm gonna give to you, and I'm not gonna dwell on it, it is powerful. And I hope that it speaks to somebody today because you need this. This is by again a guy named Marcus Aurelius who was the emperor of Rome like almost 1900 years ago in like 121 AD. And here's what he said. The happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. Years ago, I heard it phrased this way. Your thinking determines the joy of your life. The happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And here's the reality for some of you that are living in a state of unhappiness. How do I say this kindly? You have at the core of your life, you have stinking thinking. He, he was saying that you can control happiness in your life by controlling what you think about. Now, today we're gonna to be in uh, chapter two, verses 19 through 30 of Philippians, and what, what, uh, what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna to talk to us about this very issue of the quality of our thought life. Now, where is Paul? He's in jail. Who is Paul writing to? The Philippian church. Why is he writing them? He's thanking them. He's thanking them because they were partners with him. You're gonna to see today he's gonna to thank them for sending special people to help him. And so as he's writing this, watch what Paul does. Paul sends two people back to the church um, and their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus that we're gonna talk about today. And he sends them back to the church as role models for the church. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter two, we're gonna start with verse 19, and here's what Paul said. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. In other words, I'm gonna send these guys back to you. I hope they're, I hope they're helpful to you, models to you. They're gonna come back and tell me how awesome you guys are, and when they do, it's gonna cheer me up, cheer me up right in what I'm going through, right in prison. I have no one else like him, Timothy. Later he'll talk about, a few verses later, he'll talk about Ephroditus in the same way. Um, but I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Now, um, there are two books written in the New Testament about this guy to this guy. Paul would later write First and Second Timothy, which we, he would be sending letters to this guy. And then he goes on and he talks about Epaphroditus and he says, I want you to welcome him, honor him, because he, and this is key, he nearly died for my sake. So Paul says, I'm gonna send these, I'm gonna send these two guys to you and I'm gonna do it for two or three reasons. One is, he says in, in verse 19 that we just read, he said, because by me sending them to you, I'm gonna be cheered. I'm gonna be encouraged because they're gonna come back and give me a good report about how you're doing. Um, and then in verse uh, 28, later we'll read, he said, so that, so that uh, you can be cheered, you can be glad, you can be uplifted. 
And then he said, uh, he, sa- he also says in that verse uh, later, we'll, we'll see this where he says, because it will give me less anxiety. And I thought about that and I thought that's what I hope for our church. I hope that I hope that I can be cheered each week by you and I am and I'm blessed by you and so many of you that pray for me, I'm just telling you, you, you don't know how much your prayers mean to me. And then I hope that, I hope that you can be glad, you can be cheered, you can be lifted up when you come into this place or you connect with this place and that all of us can have less anxiety in our lives. And we're gonna get to that in chapter four. So he gives some qualities or habits or things that we need to put into our lives if we wanna live this way. And I just wanna go through them real quickly. If you wanna maintain happiness. Now, um, I used to think that all of us wanted to live like that. And what I have come to understand and believe through the years is that there are some of us that enjoy living in our misery. And if that's you, not talking to you today. I'm talking to those people that wanna maintain happiness and joy in their life, regardless of what's going on. And so if you wanna maintain happiness, here's the first thing he gives us. You have to put your focus on others, not yourself. You gotta stop looking at just you, what you want, what you hope to get, and you put your eyes and your focus on other people. We already talked about that in the columns. What, what makes us happy? Well, when we're, when we're kind, when we're generous to others, you put your focus on others, and when you do, it takes your eyes off of yourself. Happiness stays when I move the focus off of myself all the time. Paul uses Timothy as an example, and here's what he said. I have nobody else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He's talking to the church of Philippi. He's saying, he, this guy, he loves you. He has a genuine interest in you. He cares about you deeply. Everybody else looks out for their own interest. He's saying, this guy, Timothy is different. He's not just looking at for himself. He's not like most of us where every day we're thinking, how do I position myself? How do I say the right things? How do I get in the right place so that I look better and better, get more stuff, whatever. He says, no, Timothy is different. He, he looks for others, not for himself. And he says, there is no one else like him, meaning unselfish people are so rare. And that is so sad. It's, um, I don't know if any of you have ever been to General Assembly in the Church of the Nazarene. Happens every four years. Um, In fact, it will happen next summer. And people from all over the world that call themselves Nazarenes will gather. And for some reason, I think it's because God lives closer to Indiana. But uh, we tend to go to Indianapolis. That's where we've had most of our general assemblies is in Indianapolis. And it's kind of a common joke because when you get there, everybody registers and they give you this, they give you this name tag. Now they've gotten a little smarter. They kind of, it used to be they put it on a string and it would hang down like by your navel. You know what I'm saying? And, and so people would walk around and they would, they, they, they would see you and they would see you coming and they'd act like you're their best, like, oh, and they'd be act like you're their best friend. And then as they kind of come up to you, they'd be like, hey, and then they look down to your navel. Hey, Tim, Tim, how are you doing? Right? 
And then I got their hand on you, patting you on the back, like you're the best friend in the world. And while they're doing, you gotta go just so you can do this. And so, and so while this is going on, while they're patting you on the back, they're looking beyond you. Like, is there somebody better, more important that I can go and hang around with? Look at their, look at their name tag. Anybody more important I should be talking to? Kind of like a... <laughs> Kind of like a fake interest deal. You know what I mean? They act like they're interested in you, but they're really looking for somebody maybe better to talk to. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, this guy, Timothy, is different than that. He genuinely takes an interest in you. He really cares about you. And the older I get, the more I have thought about how it saddens me how often I have missed the needs of people because I was paying attention to myself and not really paying attention to people. And when you are a true Christ follower, you will come to a place where the Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder or whisper in your ear and you will find great conviction in your life over stuff like that. I love, I love, the, uh, I love the translation in the message, it says, don't be so obsessed with getting your own advantage. Boy, that's the mantra of the day in which we live. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And the reason this is difficult for us as a church is because this is so difficult for us in America because in America, we are so self-centered. Well, I didn't get one amen there. See, that just proved my point, right? Um, we are. And I, th I thought I'd show you just a few ads that you'll see that kind of illustrate this to us. So here's the first one. This is Coke. This is like their, their, their deal. Coca-Cola is like happens, happiness is something that you, you drink. You open, happiness. Now I gotta admit, it has been a hot day before where it's like 100 outside about the yard working and you, and it did bring me a little satisfaction, but I'm not sure I ever opened it up and thought, oh, I am so much more happy right now. If you buy this, if you drink this, this will make you happy. How about this one? This is Audi. Joy finally has meaning because we all know joy comes from the thing that you drive, right? <laughs> until you drive it off of the lot, right? And then you, you know, then you realize there's something better I could drive. When I was pastoring uh, one time, I had, I had a guy in my church that was a general manager for the major car dealership in the area and about all the cities around, I don't know if they had like six or seven different dealerships all around. And uh, I went in one time to have my car worked on and he's like, hey, pastor, just go out on the lot and pick you out anything you wanna drive and drive it, just drive it. And I'm like, now when you say anything, <laughs> he goes, no, no, seriously, just anything. So I went out, he said, well, what is it you've always wanted to drive? I, I don't know. I said, I've always wanted to drive an expedition because I was, at the time was driving an Explorer and an expedition was like bigger. He goes, hey, here's a brand new one. It's only got so many miles, just take it and drive it. Okay, well, when will they have my car done? I'll bring it back tomorrow. When he goes, no, 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 keep it for a couple of weeks. Praise Jesus, right? <laughs> Brought it back a couple weeks later. 
couple, started to say a couple months later, uh, brought it back. And then the, the next time I had something done, um, I took it in and he's like, come on, what's, what's another car you, you've never driven? I said, well, I've never driven a Jaguar. And you know that emblem on the front of the hood, it just says cool all the way. He's like, hey, take it. So he gave me a Jaguar and I drove it two, three months, you know, and uh, no, not that long. One day I was in, he said, he said, have you ever driven a Porsche? No. He goes, come on out showroom. Took me out showroom. They had one, it wasn't a brand new one. It had actually belonged to the owner and he had traded it in on a new one. And uh, he said, hey, take this and drive it. Drive it for at least a month. Just drive it, have fun with it. And I said, no. He said, why? I said, one is I'm afraid that I might damage it in some way. Two, the more important reason is I'm afraid I might like it. <laughs> now, why am I sharing all this with you? He gave me liberty to literally drive. And I did for a period of time, drove about any car I wanted. And here's what I learned. Joy did not finally have meaning in what I drove because it got to the place where driving any vehicle I wanted to meant nothing anymore. And I very quickly learned it is not in what you drive that provides the joy in your life, the happiness in your life. How about this one? Live for now, right? Pep said, just live for now. Because all that matters, we all know that the only thing that matters is how you live today. Because tomorrow doesn't matter. No, just live for now. Or this is Sprite's verse. Anybody getting thirsty right now? I am, and I left my water down in the front row. All right, um, and so Sprite says, obey, obey your thirst. Like, if you've got an urge, obey it. Just, just give in to it. And you're hearing these messages subliminally, subliminally all through your day, all through your life. Why? Because America is so self-centered. Everything, all of our ads tend to come back to me. How about this one? This one's been around for a long time. Remember this one? Yeah, just, just have it your way. And that's how a lot of people live their lives today. My way, it's what I want. I don't, I don't care about you, I don't care about you, I don't care about how it affects this, I just want it, I want it my way. Because everything, and this is what I'm trying to help you understand, because Paul's teaching us this, everything in our culture says, have it your way, the way you want it. So if you want something, and you want it bad, you go after it. If it happens to hurt somebody along the way, if it damages somebody, doesn't matter. Have it your way because that's all that matters is what's going on today. So I have to, what Paul says, I have to intentionally shift from this kind of thinking. I have to put some things in my path in my life to intentionally shift the focus away from me if I want to be happy. So then the second thing Paul said was, if you want to keep your heart happy, you have to become a trustworthy person. And I have to tell you, I almost paused and did a message just on this one. Paul preaching to the, the world, hey, you need to be trustworthy. World. No, no. Who's he preaching to? The church. But the church, us, ought to be trustworthy people. And Paul is saying that the more people trust you, the happier your life will be. 
If people don't trust you, Paul says your life will not sustain happiness. And again, Paul uses Timothy as an example. And he says, Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul says, this guy is trustworthy. Anytime you go for a loan, like you're gonna go buy a car and you're gonna borrow money, or you're gonna go buy a house. We just went through that. What is, what's the first thing they do? Credit check. Oh, see, I said credit check and some of you just went, ooh. Like you. <laughs> um, anytime you do a loan, they do a credit check. Why? They wanna see if you are trustworthy to pay this thing back. And, and, and one of the things that I found is the more trustworthy you are, the more joy you have, the more things that come your way. You know, and since we have good credit, we have great credit, we get offers about every week. People want it, like we got a check, you know, you know how they send you something that looks like a check, you know what I'm saying? I opened it up, I said, Vicki, cash this thing immediately, it's for $89,000. <laughs> Apparently they just like us, they're sending us all this money. Everyone around you is doing a credit check on your life every day. And Paul is talking to the church because the church has influence on the world. And he is saying the world is looking at your life and they are doing a credit check every day. I am just telling you after 40 years of doing this thing, the world is watching. And the thing that turns the world off more than anything else is when you fail in your credit check for the gospel. When your words don't line up with your actions. Are you what you say you are? Paul said, are you the real deal? They watch how you respond and they watch whether your word can be trustworthy. So Paul said, there's a couple things that, that, that happened um, if you wanna be a trustworthy person. One is I have to live my life. I wish I didn't even have to preach this message to the church. If you wanna, if you, want to become a trustworthy person, you have to live with integrity in your life. That's why the proverb writer said, reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks in sweltering heat. So refreshing. And it is so refreshing when people look at the church and they look at our lives and they look and see that uh, we are a people of integrity and that what we say is what we do and the things, the way we respond is, is in line with the Bible. It's a great verse. Can people count on you to live with integrity or do you just flip-flop on that all the time? Second thing is, if I want to have in, uh, if I want to be a trustworthy person, I not only have to have integrity, I have to keep, now these kind of go hand in hand, but they are different. I have to keep my promises. These people always do what they promise, David said, no matter how much it may cost them. I, I, 
I like this verse better in the King James Version. Do I have any King James people out there? Come on, say amen. All right. Yeah, you like it because that's what you grew up on, right? I grew up on NIV, so I like it. So I'm right and you're wrong, right? And you're right and I'm wrong because it's all perspective. All right. Um, I keep my promises and here's what he says. Here's the way he put this in the King James Version. God blesses the person who sweareth to his own hurt. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, what does that mean? It means you keep a promise And sometimes when you keep a promise, it means it costs you something. It hurteth a little bit, right? You you still keep your promise even though it's difficult. You sell your car on Craigslist. And you shake hands on a price with someone in your driveway. And they say, in the morning, I'm going to the bank to get the money and I will come back and and you tell them I'll have the title ready. And while they're gone, someone texts you or stops by and they make you a bigger offer, a lot bigger offer. But you say to them, I must decline. It costs you money, but you keep your promises. And when you keep your promises, you keep your integrity and it makes you a trustworthy person. You let your yes always be yes and your no be no. And then we in the church, what happens over time is we in the church, people look to the church and they say, that woman or that man or that church, they are a church of integrity because they keep their promises. Then Paul gives us another one. He said, um, if you want to stay happy, you have to strive. Some of you won't want me to preach this one. You have to strive to get along with other people. I wasn't counting on a whole lot of amens. I thought there might be one or two there. Um, You strive to get along with others. If you can't get along with other people, here's what I know, your heart will not stay happy. You will have anxiety and stress in your life. You will have friction. And some of you think you thrive on that. You love to be a fighter because you grew up maybe in an environment where you had to fight and you love to fight and you think fighting's what it's about. But the reality is the more you fight and the more you have stressful relations in your life, the less joy and happiness you have because our instinct is again, back to the ads, just to get my way. And even in the church, we will fight to get what we think is right. We will say something that is hurtful to somebody else that over something that doesn't matter at all just because we're trying to get our way because we think we're right. And we'll talk down to others and look down on others and say things about others. And Paul said, that ought not to be. I ought to be able to come into church and go, you know what? My brothers and sisters, they have my back. They're not putting something in my back. They, they have my back. So how do you get along with people? Just a couple things. Let me give you a couple things here. One is you have to learn to cooperate with people. Cooperate means I, 
I, I, I try to seek harmony. I want to get along. I want to do whatever I can to make that happen. And isn't that a goal of parenting, teaching your kids how to, like, share their toys, put their toys away, you kind of learn, teach them to cooperate, not always get their way. I remember one day our grandson, who at the time I think was only about four or so, and he was over at our house and he was playing with Vicky and they were playing you know, just different stuff. And they came into the room and Vicky said, hey, Mason, I've got an idea. Let's build this tall tower of bricks. She had these little like cardboard bricks. Let's build this tall tower and then you could take this ball and knock them down. And boy, he, he liked that, that sounded fun. And so she just took this basket of br bricks and uh, she just turned it upside down. It was a big basket, turned it upside down. All these things just spilled out. And so they did that for a little while and he got bored with it and he said, uh, he said, hey, uh, let's go play a different game. He named some game. And her response was, Mason, we need to pick up the bricks first. And Mason's response back to her was, actually, you're the one that got them out and dumped them on the floor. <laughs> and, and, you, <laughs> and you need to pick them up, right? Now listen, he was right. He didn't quite understand this cooperation thing though, right? So Paul uses Epaphroditus as an example here and here's what he said. I send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And the better you learn this skill of cooperating and getting along, the more happy your life will be. I'm just telling you. It is not so important that you get your way. It is not so important that you be right all the time. Paul says, as much as it is to cooperate and work together. Second thing Paul says is you have to be considerate. And again, these are things that Paul's saying to the church, they're all reading it going, yeah, duh. Easy to understand, harder to live out. Paul said, the more considerate you are of others, the more you think about others, not just yourself, the happier your life will tend to be. And so again, he uses Epaphroditus here. I must send him back to you. Because he wants very much to see, I love this verse, he, he wants very much to see all of you because he is worried about you because you heard he was sick. So Ephroditus is sick, he got some, we don't know what it, what it was, but the church at Philippi heard about it, they're concerned about him, and Ephroditus is concerned about the church because they're concerned about him. <laughs> I need to be considerate. Um, he's being considerate. He's thinking of not just his own plight. He was, he was not doing well. In fact, we'll learn later that he almost died. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the church, how he can help the church, how he can be a blessing to the church. He's being considerate. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you must get along with each other. Must. It's not like, you know, there, there's an option here. No, no, he's saying, no, no, you must get along with each other, you must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common, working 
together. You must get along with each other. I have not sat down in my years of ministry and written down all of the times and kind of come up with a percentage, you know, like I could say, you know, 76.5% of the time. But here's what I will say. A lot of the energy that has been drained out of me through the years has been in working with people in the church that could not get along. And it is so draining and it is so damning to the church. And this is a challenge for some of you. Hmm. How do I, okay, um, I'm saying this in love. You, you, you understand that, right? Love doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Love tells you what you need to hear. This is a challenge for some of you. It's just hard. It's hard for you to get along with people. Sometimes it's because things in your past that you have never dealt with, you've never grown through, you've never gotten over, you never talked it through, and you let that control you. For some of you, it's this, you grew up and you're always criticized or whatever. Maybe you were the youngest and you had older brothers and sisters that always put you down or a mom and dad or a friend or whatever it was. And so you're always trying to prove your self-worth by what you do. And it is just really hard for you to get along with people. And if that is you and you don't correct it, listen to me, love, listen to me, you will spend the rest of your life seeking to be happy but not finding it. You'll make others miserable when they are around you. And it's like this cycle that the more they're around you, the more miserable they come. And the less you're around people, the more negative you think about them. And it is this ugly cycle. And Paul says, you better deal with it. And you better learn to get along and love everybody. Paul said, be considerate. Think of others beyond yourself. And then let me give you one more since... uh, Nobody's gotten blessed and started clapping yet. Uh, On the first three, let me give you this last one. And I'm gonna say this, and this is something that you will not walk out of here today going, oh, I got that last point, but I'm hoping it will haunt you for the rest of your days. You have to have something in your life worth dying for. Some of you have something in your life worth living for, but you do not have something in your life worth dying for. What are you investing your one and only life in? Your job? A business? I talked with a couple friends just in the last couple weeks who recently retired, and in my response to them about, man, how, how is it like, you know, like, is that like the ultimate? And they're like, no, there's not. Now I don't really feel like I have a purpose. 
What is something you have in your life right now that is worth dying for? And the question you need to ask is, of all the time and energy and emotions and money to all of these things in my life, how much is this going to matter five years from now or 10 years from now? or one day when my life is done, how much will all of that have mattered? How much will it matter when you're gone? The best use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts you. Now, Paul ends this passage with these words of Epaphroditus, and he says, indeed, he was ill, almost died. He risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. He was saying to the church, you couldn't help me at that time. You couldn't uh, be here. You couldn't minister to me in that time. But Epaphroditus, even though he was ill, even though he risked his life, even though he almost died, he did it because he was doing for me what you couldn't do. He was doing for me something that would last. Paul's in prison. The church at Philippi at this time was about 800 miles away. They send a love gift to Paul. They send something to encourage him. We don't know if it's money, if it's a, you know, a basket of whatever, maybe, maybe both. And they send this love gift to Paul and there were no, you know, come on, there were no planes back then. There were no trains back then, no cars back then, no buses. The only way they could get to Rome was for somebody to walk 800 miles carrying this love gift. And they're asking the church, how are we gonna get this to Paul? And somebody raises their hand in the back, this guy named Epaphroditus, and he said, I'll do it. Send me, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And Paul said he, he risked his life. He got disease, he got sick, he almost died in the process. But in spite of persistent pain, he completes his task. And Paul is blessed by it. And we as a church 2,000 years later are blessed by the ministry of Epaphroditus, even though you didn't realize it today. So let me ask you two questions as we close. 2,000 years later. The first one is, what commitment have you started that you have not finished? What commitment have you made? You, you began it, you, or maybe you haven't even started it, maybe, but you have not completed it. Maybe it's a commitment to your husband or a commitment to your wife and you just said, I made this commitment, I'm gonna work this out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on this, but you haven't. Maybe it's a commitment that you made to your children and you told them, you know, you would do this, or you would do that, and you start, you just, you had good intentions, but you haven't been faithful to that. Maybe it was to a friend, you made some promise, you made some commitment to them, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Maybe you made a commitment to Kokomo Nash Church 
You committed you would serve in some area. You, you committed you would give some amount. You, you committed that you would do some ministry. Start, use me. You, 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 you just made that commitment. Some of, you, some of you maybe either stood down here or you were in a class and you made a commitment to your membership vows. And the truth is, from the day you took those, you haven't lived up to those vows. Hmm. Easy, easy to understand, harder to live these things out. Are you faithful? Do you wanna be faithful? Do you wanna be faithful to God? Do you wanna be faithful to your family? Do you wanna be faithful to the church? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Second question, and I'll close with this, is your commitment to Christ deep enough to risk your life for it? Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul would say, are so rare. They were, they were willing to commit themselves to the cause of Christ that it was so deep and so real that they didn't care about anything else. They were really willing to give up their life for it. Now, if they were willing to lay down their life for it, they were willing to lay down their talents. They were willing to give their treasure they were willing to give their future, their dreams, whatever it was, none of that mattered because they had a commitment to Christ that was so deep and so true and so strong. I used this a couple months ago, I'll share it again. It, 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 this is a powerful statement about this guy named uh, Jim Elliott, who was the missionary to Ecuador. I, I shared with you, he had this goal to take the message. The, the commitment to Christ was so deep that he would go to a people that was considered the most primitive people in all the world, and he would do it, and it cost him his life. He was killed by the very people that he came to reach. And a week before he died, he wrote this in his notes in his devotional time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, he's saying to us, to me, to you today, is your commitment to Christ deep enough that you would give up your life for it? You would give up your dreams and your aspirations and your goals and your resources. You would do whatever he called you to do. Is it that deep? I was thinking this week, if Kokomo Naz asked you to walk 800 miles to deliver a gift to another church that was in need, would you do it? <laughs> come on, let's just, come on, be honest. We wouldn't drive 800 miles, right? In our air-conditioned car. Paul said, there aren't many like this guy, Epaphroditus. There's not many like this guy, Timothy who will say, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll serve, I'll give, I will lay down even if it cost me my life. And this was my thought for a, a long time and I, to my shame, I'll, I'll admit this. I, I wouldn't, didn't say it out loud and if you sat me down and asked me, I would have said, no, no, no. But the, the way I kind of lived my life or did my ministry, this was kind of how it was. And I think how many Christians live their lives today. I'll live for Christ as long as it is convenient. 
I'll live for Christ as long as the cost isn't too much, too great. I'll live for Christ as long as I can stay in comfort. I'll live for Christ as long as it benefits me. I'll live as for Christ as long as it doesn't require much. And, and here's what I just wanna say to all of us. God is not finished testing your faith. Until the day you see him face to face, he will continue to test your faith. Do you think God's gonna let you just coast the rest of your life, like just be comfortable and just be whatever? You, I mean, really, you think God's gonna say, hey, listen, you, you've done plenty. I know the disciples laid down their lives, all died on a cross, some upside down, many stoned. Many, I, know, I know they did that for the cause of the church, but hey, listen, I know you, you served a few years in the church. That's, that's good enough, don't worry about it. All of the big risks in your life, they're behind you now. Just sit back, just coast. I'll bring you home one day. Just be in comfort from here on out. You probably have something in your life worth living for. My question to you today is, do you have something in your life that you would die for? And let me end with this last passage of scripture because these are the words of Jesus and I need the words of Jesus most of all. Only those who give away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Only those that have something in their life worth not living for, worth dying for, for my sake, for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it means to really live, to know what this happiness can be all about. You're just existing until you find a purpose in your life that is greater than yourself to get out of bed for every morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're watching online. If you just bow your heads where you are, maybe there are some of you that just need to pray about something today. Maybe you need to pray about a pain in your life right now. It's very real and it hurts and it consumes you and it robs you of happiness. And right now, maybe that's the thing you need to pray for. Maybe for some of you, it is some sorrow you are facing and you are trying to get past, but you are just grieving it right now and you just need to pray about that. And you're asking, you're asking for the peace of God that goes beyond human understanding, that it would guard you, protect you, wash peace over your life right now. For some of you, some physical need, and oh, I wish I could anoint some of you right now and and I, I will, if that's what you want, you, you can come down afterwards, we'll pray. Some of you have an incredible financial need right now and it weighs on your heart and it's just like sucking joy out of you and you have great fear and it consumes you. Maybe some of you, you need to pray about some forgiveness in your life. You need to extend forgiveness to someone or you need to ask forgiveness from someone for something. 
Paul said that we'll learn in a few weeks, don't worry about anything in your life. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has already done. And Father, right now in the midst of your word that penetrates our hearts and minds, I bring to you people that are hungry for you today. People that need your Holy Spirit to wash over them. People that are in pain right now. People that are going through difficulties. People that are hurting. People that are struggling. I pray, Father, for someone that is going through some sorrow in their life. They've lost someone or they have lost something in their life that has dramatically hit them and they are struggling and I'm praying right now in their grief that you would be more than enough. I'm praying for someone that has a resource need today. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Philippians 4 where Paul reminds us that you, our God, will supply every need according to the glorious riches we have in Christ Jesus. Be their supply today. And Lord, this issue of forgiveness, because we are, because the mantra of our world is it's all about me, then it's all about my feelings, and I, I don't wanna give forgiveness, and I don't wanna ask for forgiveness. I pray you would break down our pride today. Give us a hunger for you, Holy Spirit. For someone that has a need for wisdom today because they are facing something and they need to make some decisions. And I pray that you would give them wisdom that exceeds their ability to even know right now what that is, that you would just, and, and when it happens, may they know that wisdom came from you. For we love you and we wanna worship you right now. We wanna just worship you. And so I'm gonna invite all of us, if we would, to stand and lift our struggle to the Lord, lift our burden to the Lord as we worship this morning. Those of you watching online, you worship with us as we honor him today.